Compromise, the product of divided government. Hospitals predict thousands of layoffs thanks to a new fee plan. The race for Secretary of State takes shape. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at Coside, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Joe Ingalls, State House reporter for Ohio Public Radio, Daryl Rowland, Public Affairs Editor for the Columbus Dispatch, Michael Miller, Attorney and former Franklin County Prosecutor, and Sandy Tice, Public Relations Consultant. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. When one party was in charge of the governor's office and both chambers of the legislature, passing laws was relatively easy. Now, not so much. There was quite a bit of haggling that went on last week over at the State House over the state's $10 billion transportation bill. The Democratic House had one plan. The Republican-led Senate had a very different plan, so they had to work it out. It happens often in other governments, but it's something that has not been seen at the State House here in Ohio in quite some time. Darrell Rowland, what was the tone of those negotiations in this conference committee, which they had to use for the first time in over a decade? Wow, a dust up over a transportation bill, something yeah. we <laughs> don't see too often here in Columbus. So some early season excitement, shall we say. Um, a couple of things we should say. Uh, as you say, we've not had divided government of this nature uh, a Democratic House, a Republican Senate, obviously a Democratic governor, since 1993 in this state. So maybe some of this is to be expected. We all know about the economy. It's a tough budget year, so you can say it's to be expected there as well. It's interesting to see, though, this may just be the first skirmish of what could be a really bitter debate over the, the big budget, we say, the operating budget, the $54 billion two-year budget, uh, which has to be passed by the end of June, because this was kind of small potatoes. And they thought they had agreement, then they had to come back and have some emergency clauses inserted, and they had conference committee meetings. They thought they had schedule. They thought they were going to meet on the weekend. They couldn't meet it. What's going to be in the bill? Should the Highway Patrol budget be in the bill? Seat belts, what have you. A lot of contentiousness over something that's many years just pretty routine. Is that the difference? I mean, when Governor Strickland took office, there was divided government. The executive was Democrat, Republicans held the both chambers, but now one chamber is Democrat, one's Republican. So we're really talking divided. Is that the difference? I think it is, and I think the <coughs> Senate now views itself as the last line of defense for the Republicans. It's controlled by Republicans. The House pretty much goes along with what the government wants, with what the governor wants, and so we're starting to see the rise of the Senate a little more. Um, Senate people pushing back and making some arguments. I think they view themselves as the people who are best positioned to counter the governor. But I don't think that's particularly unusual to any of you. That, no, I mean, that's no. just, it's partisan politics, and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's but unusual. We haven't seen it here in quite a while. Well, as like Daryl says, yeah. since 1993 or whatever, 16 years, but I don't think it's unusual. I think what is unusual, though, and, and I think, you know, those covering the state house are wondering, uh, when we talk about danger signs, there's something beyond partisan politics at work here, I think. may all work out in the end. But there seems to be some basic questioning of the governor's credibility, his budget figure's credibility, um, by a lot of the legislators. So we're going to see how that plays out. They've already called on the budget director to resign. Um, just this past week, we just saw a, a bill introduced to bring back the legislative budget office, independent numbers Republican legislators won. Uh, oddly enough, the Republicans are the ones who killed it eight yeah. years ago. Yeah. This is kind of like the Congressional Budget Office kind of thing. It, it over, it's Roughly speaking, it's yeah. kind mm -hmm. of a 
independent, quasi-independent mm -hmm. thing. Is this a good thing, Joe, to have this good divided government, get better compromise, perhaps get a solution that's in the middle? Well, you know, a lot of people would say that it is. Uh, you know, it depends on what you're looking for in government. I, it, it means that everything you do is going to be a bigger fight. So if you want to actually have government that's expedient, that gets things done fast, th having this divided government the way we have it now is not for you. But if you're someone who really wants the give and take and, and wants the government to, you know, our lawmakers to take time and actually look through every piece of legislation, we are seeing more scrutiny now than we have in the past. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, a bill I covered, uh, one of the lawmakers uh, that was involved with it said, oh, I didn't read that part of the bill. I think we're seeing, you know, line by line, they're going through it. And the economy has something to do with that, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. One of the specifics in the transportation bill, the one that generated a lot of water cooler conversation, was the allowing trucks to drive 65 miles per hour on the interstates. No, I haven't seen a whole lot of trucks driving 55 miles an hour, the old <laughs> limit. So what's the, what's the change here? And, and was, that the, was that the right move? Well, you, the, the Ohio Highway Patrol is generally regarded as the expert on highway safety. And they, if they feel strongly about something, they butt in. If they don't, they butt out. They're also squeaky clean. These are the people who um, turned in the lottery director for passing out the 100 tickets to, the, to uh, the trooper who let him off with a warning. And they think this is a bad idea. And they think it's a bad idea because on the Ohio Turnpike, we let trucks go 65, and we've seen an increase in, in accidents and fatalities as a result. So um, I think if we have this group of taxpayer-funded experts who say we shouldn't be doing this, I'm surprised that we're not listening to them. Is the fear that trucks will go 75 if the limit's 65? Sure, yes. I mean, that's always the, because everyone else goes 75 <laughs> or 70. Yeah. All right, let's get to our next topic. Hospitals and nursing homes around the state are up in arms over part of the governor's budget plan. It's the part that imposes a franchise fee on them. Governor Strickland says the fee is needed to meet the rising cost of Medicaid. That's the government health care plan that pays for health care for the poor and the disabled. Hospitals say the proposed fees are too high and will cause hospitals to lay off workers and perhaps close. Cindy Tice, now you speak for the Ohio Hospital Association, which opposes this fee. Right. The governor doesn't want to cut Medicaid, especially now in a time of a recession. So he, he says he needs the fee. How does he not cut Medicaid without the fee? Well, here's what he's done, though. If, I know everyone has to do their fair share, but half, more than half of the new or higher fees in this budget would fall to hospitals. And this is happening at a time when hospitals are also already hemorrhaging money because their charity care is way up and their bad debt is way up. And this is a fee that is on spending, not on income. So the more you spend on charity care, the higher your costs. I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of biting the hand that heals us, and that's what is a problem for the hospitals. These new fees would help us draw down more federal Medicaid money, but that money would not be used for health care services. It would be diverted to help balance the state budget, and that's a problem that the hospitals really have with it. Um, if it's, I'm guessing the theory on attacking spending is to try to force hospitals to control their costs. Now, charity care aside, might it work to tax the spending at one or one and a quarter percent, I guess it is, to get them to lower their costs, and thus lower the cost for all of us? Well, the problem is that hospitals really can't control their costs because right now, anybody who doesn't have health insurance, and there are a lot more people who don't, they go to a hospital to get free health care. They're using the emergency rooms more, and so here we are basically taxing them on spending that they can't control. They've done all sorts of things already. They've, they've um, laid people off, they've delayed construction problems, they've cut the salary or frozen the salaries of their people, 
and um, the outlook for hospitals. Moody's downgraded the economic outlook for hospitals in December from stable to negative. That's how bad the hospital sector's doing. Is this, is this fee gonna go anywhere in this state house? Are the lawmakers really questioning it? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, hey, the, the hospital association, and, and coupled with them, the, the nursing homes. Um, two very powerful voices in the state house. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if either of these survive, because folks have taken uh, a whack at uh, these groups before during past budgets. Partial success has been about the best result uh, from the government's standpoint. One of the things that's yet to come that we don't know about is, uh, first of all, at the federal level, we hear President Obama talking a lot about wanting to reform health care and make some significant strides there. We don't know what effect that will have. It probably will take a year or two for whatever he does to register, let's put it that way. The other thing is that uh, one of the significant parts of the transportation budget this week was that they allowed, uh, the, they changed the COBRA coverage. COBRA coverage is uh, the coverage, the health insurance coverage you have through your employer. When you leave, um, that coverage is often very unaffordable, sometimes even unaccessible for people. They've changed that to make it more affordable, more accessible for people. So we don't know if that might help, but you know, we do know that a lot of Ohioans are losing their jobs right now, and oftentimes with that they're losing health care coverage. If they have health care coverage, that might help some, but we don't know what effect it will have. Is there room for a compromise here in that perhaps they, that one of the suggestions is cut Medicaid, vision, and dental coverage. Now, it's something you don't want to do, but it would lower the, the cost of Medicaid. Would the hospital association agree to some kind of a fee or, or a tax, whatever you want to call it, if, if there was some kind of middle ground? I don't know. I mean, I know we're talking to the administration. We're talking to the legislators on both sides of the aisle and trying to come up with some sort of a compromise. I think s perhaps another area that may be ripe for cutting in the Medi Medicaid uh, arena might be child care. Because that's just mushroom. In a way, it's a success yeah. of welfare reform because we have so many more working poor on the rolls. But, you know, we've agreed to pay for child care for their kids while they're at work. So that's a mushroom. You know, there may be a push to trim that back a bit. Okay. Our third topic, prisons and the death penalty <coughs> were in the news this week. Ohio's new Attorney General Richard Cordray raised questions about the death penalty appeals process. He says it's too lengthy. State lawmakers held hearings on a bill that would expand DNA testing. And union prison guards in Mansfield say overcrowding and feuding prison gangs have led to a dramatic rise in tension at that facility. Michael Miller, first to Richard Cordray's comments. Is that, should we read anything into that or is that just sort of the the ongoing frustration that, that a prosecutor and attorney has with the <coughs> appeals process? Well, I think it's probably an ongoing frustration, and I don't think there's anything really to read into it. I think the attorney general is absolutely 100% right in his uh, comments. Uh, it is drawn out, but it's drawn out for a purpose. You know, basically, uh, it, it, you're pro-death penalty or you're anti-death penalty, and if you're a defendant uh, uh, who's on death row and you have attorneys representing you, they're going to do everything they can to delay, 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 delay. That's what they're supposed to do. They do a very good job. I think I saw the average uh, the time on death row across the United States is, I don't know, somewhere around 13.2 years or something like that, a lengthy period of time. And I don't think it's going to change. It's just something uh, that we've had for years and years. Uh, and uh, I agree with the Attorney General, but I doubt that there's very little he can do about it. The, the rate of executions has slowed. The population on death row has decreased for a number of reasons. Are we, kind of, are we seeing a, a phase-out by default of the death penalty? I mean, 
I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, it has slowed down, uh, but there's still an awful lot of people on death row. I don't think it's it's going to change. All you need uh, is one, you know, horrendous uh, situation such as you know actually we had today, mm -hmm. uh, and get people thinking, you know, we need a death penalty. We need it to uh, put it into effect, and I I don't think that's going to change in the near future. Mike, with all the attention the Innocence Project and some of these other groups have had where people were exonerated years after they've been behind bars, there's, piece, there's a piece of legislation pending that would require DNA testing when you're arrested. Wouldn't that help some of these problems? Is Absolutely. that a good idea? I think I, I'm all in favor of that. Uh, uh, broaden it as, as much as you can. I believe it's relatively inexpensive and it's far cheaper than, uh, of course, nobody wants to have an innocent person in prison, period, much less death row. But yeah, I think you broaden that as much as you can. I don't think the cost is... Uh, uh, as great as it used to be, and, and I think that's a very good idea. And I don't think you'll find too many prosecutors, uh, if any, who would be opposed to that. The bill also would would uh, strengthen requirements to keep other evidence, other biological evidence. Um, how long should they keep the evidence? Well, Mike, I, you don't know. I mean, DNA changes so much. You know, there are things that uh, we had uh, when DNA first came out, I, 15 years ago or so, that uh, that we couldn't test. And, and now they can test it, you know, very easily. So, uh, you know, I guess you err in, in uh, you know, the side of uh, safety, if you will, or caution of some sort, and you keep it as long as you can. I don't know if you draw a line uh, or just uh, say, you know, you keep everything at least for 10 years or something like that. I think you've got to do it. Uh, and I think it's necessary. Prison overcrowding and prison reform, that's being taken care of by default because of the budget situation. Again, it's expensive to run a prison. And you're seeing that evidence of that, at least complaints of that up in, up in Mansfield. And the, the, and the governor's budget addresses some of this in, uh, in trying to move people towards community-based programs and parole programs right. and things like that. The governor does want to move people out of the prisons into community-based programs, but one of the things that we're hearing in Mansfield that was uh, disturbing this week is uh, the amount of traffic at the commissary. Uh, there had been a situation in Mansfield, I believe on the 20th or 21st of this month, a month I can't remember the exact date, where uh, there had been gang fighting. And the, they had basically shut the prison down as far as letting the prisoners have free reign. And they opened up the uh, ability to go back to the commissaries on Monday. Now, the amount of food that was sold in the commissary was unusually high. Uh, the first part of this week. The prison guards were saying that's a sign that they're trying, they, they are convinced that the prisoners are about to riot in Mansfield. They say they're understaffed and they can't handle that and they're saying that the fact that all this food was sold in the commissary earlier this week, that's a sign that they're stockpiling food. However, if you talk to the people who work in the prisons department, they say no. They're when just hungry. Yeah, they're just hungry. They haven't had <laughs> snack food for two weeks. They're, they're hitting them, you know, so it's, you it's know, hard it's, to tell it's what's hard going to on. Tell what's going on there. Uh, it was chilling, you know, you know, for, I guess I'm one of the few reporters maybe left in town that's actually covered the Lucasville riot. Shows my age more than anything, <laughs> so. Um, to raise that specter again, you know, for first, a few years afterwards, that specter was raised several times, it's sort of like after 911, we do another 911 yeah. or whatever. It hasn't really come up recently, but especially as Easter approaches, we're approaching the, what, 16th anniversary yeah. of that incident. It's a little spooky hearing those words again. And, you know, the day after we published that story on page one and we got the department's denials, we got emails from uh, corrections officers in Mansfield saying, you're right on and look out. That, that's, that scares me a little bit. 
And okay. you look at the same set of circumstances that applied before the Lucasville riot. It was a lot of prison overcrowding, a lot of complaints about their inability to control the gang violence. And it, right. it gave yeah. me, I covered that riot too, and yeah. it gave me the same set of chills. It is and chilling. And you look at the numbers of the, you know, the, the prisoner to guard ratio. After Lucasville, of course, it plunged. We hired all these uh, extra COs. It's almost back up to where it was at Lucasville. And they've had a lot of cuts both in the prisons and on the community res yes. uh, resources no side, question. the parole office and things. Our next topic, the race for Ohio Secretary of State is shaping up. Marilyn Brown, the Franklin County Commissioner, announced her candidacy last week. State Senator and former House Speaker John Houston this week said he's running, but the Republican says one of his goals in office is to eliminate the Secretary of State's office. Joe Ingalls, he says he wants to form this bipartisan commission, kind of like a, a statewide board of election. Right, a statewide board of elections that would basically draw up, uh, you know, the directives of how elections would be run. They would dictate the process. The other thing he wants to do is he kind of wants to um, get rid of the Secretary of State's control in redistricting. Uh, of course, that's how you choose the Ohio House and Senate seats. The uh, Secretary of State has a very important role in that. He wants to take that vote away. Um, and not have the Secretary of State have all that control because he says it's too partisan and uh, it needs to be out of there. Um, those are two important duties of the Secretary of State and uh, we'll have to see how th what the reaction is, but the thing that came to my mind was I think Ohio voters looked at these issues a few years ago and soundly said no. So we've got to keep that in mind as well. How does this race shape up? It's very early. The filing deadline is 10 months away. Um, but he's been rumored to be wanting this post for a long time, even before Jennifer Bruno said she's leaving. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I thought um, Marilyn Brown was an interesting choice. I think there can be a gender advantage in this, and her last name is Brown, and that's been a golden ballot name in Ohio for a really, really, really long time. She's pretty new as a Franklin County Commissioner, and I, I found it pretty interesting that she chimed in, but I think we'll see a lot of people chime in. Can she win statewide? She's been on the, on the county commission for about a year, right? She's beat Dewey Stokes in 2006, a surprise. Brown probably helped. Um, the, the demographics of Franklin County also helped as well. But can she go statewide? John Houston's got kind of a boatload of money. Yeah. I mean, that guy can, regardless of whether you love him or hate him, he can raise money. He's a proven fundraiser. Uh, raising big bucks uh, for his own state reps race and then as Speaker of the House. Uh, statewide, I think he can generate a lot, especially if they pitch this as the apportionment board is on the line here, Republicans. You better step up to the plate now, just like you did in 1990, or the D's are going to draw the districts. And you think you have a Democratic majority now, you know, wait till 2012. Do we still think Jennifer Bruner's not going to run for Secretary of State? Mike, what's your gut tell you? I think I still think as uh, as we talked last time and she's in the Senate race and that doesn't mean she doesn't get out and if she gets out she runs for Secretary of State but you know as you say uh, Mike we got 10 months it's a long long time to go and I, anything is possible can uh, can Brown win Marilyn Brown win of course she can win and can uh, Huston win of course he can win too uh, we'll just we'll see we're gonna have an incumbent governor there it's gonna be a big race there I think uh, we'll see how the the president's um, uh, doing then, and if he's very popular, that's going to help the Democrats clearly. So there, there's a lot, a lot of time left. In the meantime, though, it, it likely will be settled before the filing deadline. Is this whole Montgomery County Board of Elections tie, <laughs> where half of the board says John Houston lives in suburban Dayton that he represents, the other half says. No, he lives in Upper Arlington, and Jennifer Bruner has I the time-breaking vote. <laughs> so, <laughs> how does she handle that? I mean, that's 
I mean, she's not running for the office, so that might make it a little easier, but, you know. I think she's in the Senate race to stay, and I think people who think that she's going to yes. drop out are wrong if you look at the history of Jennifer. But um, I have no idea what she's going to do on breaking this tie, but if I were Jennifer, I would, if she legally can, appoint some expert to make the decision on her behalf. Just mm -hmm. absolve herself from this. Yeah. yeah. But I also predict, and I know it's not the predicting part yeah. of the program <laughs> yet, but I also predict that that very issue you mentioned will come up in an ad against Husted when he runs for office. Absolutely. Oh, good. Sure. Yeah. Our last topic, smokers are paying more for a pack of cigarettes. They're also paying more for cigars. A 62 cents per pack increase in the federal cigarette tax went into effect this week. That brings the total amount of state and federal taxes, just the taxes on a pack of cigarettes, now stands at $2.26. The new tax hike goes to pay for the health insurance for low-income children. Sandy Tice, this brings up sin taxes once again. Is it fair that we burden the smokers with all these taxes? I, I think it is fair because smokers burden all of us. You know, we smell their smoke, it stinks, it hurts all of us in, the tr in terms of secondhand smoke. I am a rabid anti-smoker, grew up in a house full of smokers. I think the taxes should be higher. You hide it well. I, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, 226 on each pack. I mean, that's a lot. But that's people are still I mean, paying it. I know. That's the thing. People yeah. do still buy them. But yeah. it, it and every time they go up, the amount of smokers goes down, which is a good thing from a public health point of view, from a government uh, spending point of view. So I think the, the positives outweigh the negatives. I think there is one negative here that I see, though. I, you know, a lot of times when the price goes up on something so much, it becomes chic. And if we, you know, if smoking becomes the chic in thing to do, um, it, it hasn't been lightly, but it could be if, if people think, oh, that's worth the money, you know, that it, it could have the opposite effect. Or we could see the emergence of a new black market form or an expanded black right. market form. Right. Um, does, is there a conflict of interest there? The government is relying on smokers to help pay for the children's health insurance. It causes smokers to quit. So who pays for the health insurance when they all quit? Good when the money's gone. <laughs> Michael, they're not going to all quit. <laughs> as a 35-year uh, chain smoker who, thank goodness, has not had one for 18 years, uh, I guarantee you that uh, they're not all going to quit. And it's going to be there. And uh, I, I, I hate to say this since I was a former smoker, but I, I'm glad that the taxes are up. I agree with Sandy. And there's other things, too. They... they they cost the uh, public an awful lot of money on, on health care and so forth, so might as well pay at the front end. I, I understand it's probably unfair to some other people, but uh, generally I think it's, uh, it's a good idea and state needs the money and that's might as well penalize the smokers. The bottom line, Daryl, it's easy politically to tax the smokers. Than oh, it is sure. To tax all it, I mean, isn't this how we build, you know, stadiums across Ohio or, or, or what have you? <laughs> so it's, it's the favorite target. At least in this one, there's, there's I mean, you might say, some rough equivalency. At least it's you're taxing a, a health problem. It's going toward health issues to solve some health issues. Uh, children's health insurance, not too many people can argue against that. So at least there's some sense to this guy as opposed to just building a baseball stadium or something. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the tax is on alcohol, but that's in the same, same boat, although more people drink than smoke. So that's more of a widespread tax. I don't feel strongly about that one, but <laughs> what, what bothers me about the smoking is the secondhand smoke. I mean, there are people who don't like it, who don't want to be near it, who end up subjected to it, and you don't really see that with, with alcohol. Except for the driving and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. But.
And okay. one thing about the alcohol versus the tobacco is with alcohol, you, uh, we of course have a lot of people who have problems with alcohol, let me say that up mm -hmm. front, but we also have a lot of people who can have a drink now and then, and it's not the kind of habitual thing that you okay. see with smoking. Okay. Plus, not to get, you know, totally moralistic here, but, you know, we just had these new numbers out this week about how overdoses drug overdoses in Ohio have become the leading cause of accidental deaths, yeah. topping traffic crashes for the first time in modern Ohio history. And this whole addiction society, if you will, if you'll pardon the overgeneralization, you know, how, how do we get at that? Yeah. Okay. It's time now for our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Some final thoughts, some predictions for the weeks ahead. Joe Ingalls, you're up first. Well, since I've already made a prediction, let mm -hmm. me uh, throw out a final thought. Uh, I had an observation that I thought was very interesting this weekend, uh, or this week. Uh, two of the votes, uh, there were only two votes in the Senate against the transportation bill. Those votes were from uh, Republican Senator Kevin Coughlin, who is running for governor, and uh, Republican Senator John Husted, who is running for Secretary of State. So you kind of sit there and look at that and think, hmm, that's kind of odd. All right. Daryl. <coughs> I have two if you indulge me, Michael. I'll, sure. I'll be fast. <laughs> and they're almost more prayers and predictions. Um, it's a dark day at the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, many of you know 45 people are losing their jobs, effective as, as we tape this on Friday. Uh, a lot of colleagues, a lot of experience walking out the door. And I, I just want to say Godspeed. Uh, your colleagues will miss you. This community will miss you. Uh, the other person I want to mention is a kid named Blake Haxton. He's the senior from Upper Arlington who's lost both his legs uh, after he got the, that bad infection a couple weeks ago. Um, to the support of his family, his friends, you know, the, the power of prayer, it's a miracle he's still alive. And my prediction is we're going to hear amazing things because this is an amazing kid in a few years. Okay. Michael. Well, after what Darrell said, well, I have is really didn't amount to much. I certainly hope he's right on that. I just am so excited that in a couple of weeks we open this new stadium downtown. I think it's going to be a real gem for the for the city and for the county. It's going to be a beautiful place, and I think uh, it's still going to be relatively cheap enough that all of us can enjoy it. And I, I think it's going to be a great a great thing. Huntington Park, the new home of the Clippers. And Sandy, get the last word. Uh, in honor of the Senate Republicans' role as the counter to the Democratic governor, and because John Husted is a statewide candidate, the committee that he chairs, the new Government Oversight Committee, will hold hearings on the Lottery Commission director's decision to give up a bunch of tickets, and maybe we'll find out where those tickets actually went. Okay. That's Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue the conversation at our website, WOSU.org. Should smokers pay even more than they're paying now? For our crew here at WOSU at COSI, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.